was it bad? What was it like? Working with him, working with her. You'll hear all the tales you wish you knew. Every aspect of the theater too. Feel your love of Broadway anew. On backstage babble. Hi. This is Charles Kirsch, and welcome to Backstage Babble. Backstage Babble is a podcast interviewing professionals in the theater industry about themselves, their careers, and the people they've worked with along the way. And today, I'm so happy to welcome my guest, veteran actor Jonathan Hadari. Jonathan Hadari is currently starring in the wonderful play Epiphany at Lincoln Center through July 24th. Among his Broadway credits include Herbie and Gypsy opposite Tyne Daly, Nathan Detroit in Guys and Dolls, King Arthur in Spamalot, and roles in Torch Song Trilogy, Gemini, Awake and Sing, All Shook Up, Golden Boy, The Best Man, and As Is. He also appeared off-Broadway in You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown, Millennium Approaches, A Bright Room Called Day, Roadshow, Assassins, Coriolanus, God Bless You, Mr. Rosewater, and many more shows. His screen credits include Law and Order, Guiding Light, Sex in the City, Veep, and Girls 5 Eva. So now, without further ado, here's Jonathan Hadari. Well, so I would love to um, to start our interview by asking you, uh, how did Epiphany first come into your life? And well, you know, I haven't pinned down the date. Um, it was before COVID. Oh. It was, um, there was a reading. Lincoln Center, I got a call from my agent, as did Mary Louise Burke, who I did not know and had not met until this reading. And she has the same representation as do I. Oh. So um, we both w ended up doing, you know, a one-day reading, a typical kind of thing at lots of theaters where you come in the morning and you read through it, and then in the afternoon the, the people that are going to decide the future of the play at their institution come and listen to you read it, and that's it. Uh, but it was, again, when was this? It must have been... Spring-ish of 2019, oh. um, because uh, I was very taken with the play. A little, um, you know, I couldn't digest it quickly. It, there's a lot in it, yeah. but the overall event um, was quite uh, captivating. You know, the fact that these people come together and do this thing and then disperse and that Ames stayed. And, and had that last scene with her was, well, uh, interesting to say the least. Uh, and then the play stayed with me a lot during the course of COVID. It kept coming to mind. There, there was a second reading that I couldn't do because I wasn't available to do so uh, some months after the first one. And I don't think Mary Louise did it either. And then they decided they were going to produce it. And then COVID stopped everything. Oh. And and then uh, a year or so, finally, afterwards, we're doing it. <laughs> but it kept coming to mind. And then I read it, I reread it completely at least once, and I think maybe twice, again, during the couple of years in the middle. And it astonished me how timely it 
continued to be, and it was written before COVID. Yeah. But just the sense of isolation and the need to gather, um, be, being stated as clearly as they are in the play was just rem remarkable. A lot of things about it. And so despite that timeliness, were there a lot of changes to the play or any changes to the play when you came back to do it post-COVID? Um, Brian's made changes, um, not radical ones, um, quite the reverse. Uh, well, they're, they're very effective, but they're usually quite tiny. Um, sometimes not. Transpositions of things, little cuts here and there. Sometimes uh, giving a speech to someone else. <laughs> then he originally had uh, decided was supposed to say it and decided, no, I think someone else is going to say that. Um, it's fascinating what playwrights can do. But mostly small nips and tucks, I would call them, um, to tighten, to clarify the story, um, you know, with that in mind. Uh, it kept seeming as though I kept discovering things. I still am. I frankly yeah. still am. I think we all are. It's very densely packed with little glimmers of hints of things. Yeah. Um, it just occurred to me a, w a week or so ago, I think, I'm off stage at this point, but I hear them say, when they find out how late it is, uh, one of the couple says, our sitter's going to kill us. We've been here for five hours. And it's the first you know that there's a kid. Yeah. <laughs> it's just the mention of the sitter. <laughs> things like that, that you simply uh, don't pick up on at first, and you needn't. They're there, and they all fit together. But the, again, the sweep of the event I found so affecting uh, that, that I, I didn't pick up on. And I, as I say, I, I still am. So it seems as though he's rewritten things when he hasn't. I'm just discovering them. Yeah. They, you know, it keeps happening. <laughs> and so I would love to sort of go back to the beginning with you now and ask you how you first became interested in theater when that happened. Um, I grew up in Evanston, Illinois. I was born in Chicago, and we moved into Evanston, which is the very first suburb to the north, when I was, you know, not yet two. And the schools there were uh, resourceful and well-resourced, and Northwestern is there, so creative dramatics was part of school. It was oh. within the curriculum. There was an auditorium with a stage and curtains and some lights even, so that there was a first grade play and a second grade play and all the way through sixth grade. Um, it, it, it was given credence just like softball was. Oh, yeah. um, and I was good at it and I wasn't so good at softball. <laughs> uh, music and art, there was a lot of that stuff. Again, that was within school hours. Uh, I was, it, well, I think it must have become clear to my folks, my mother, that I liked theater. Uh, she loved theater. My mother did. And my dad did as well, but she had all her life. And I think he came to it uh, to marrying her. <laughs> um, but they would go to theater. I remember them talking about it. And I was taken to children's theater at Goodman. Uh, so I, I had a taste for it uh, increasingly and was always happy to go. Uh, I saw theater in the round. I saw you know, big stuff. I, I saw the national tour of uh, My Fair Lady, which I always sort of say changed my life. It was the first big show I saw, like a Broadway scale show. And seeing what a stage could do, uh, I, re I, I re didn't realize until decades and decades later that I remembered everything uh, visually. 
I remembered the entire production visually, uh, uh, what the sets did and how they moved, and what happened in the scenes and the songs, everything, everything. But uh, so I, I had a taste for it early, and by the time I was your age, um, oh, there was there was also um, there was Evanston Children's Theater, which put on big productions um, for tour. Oh, I guess by like four performances over a couple of weekends um, in which adults were played by students from Northwestern and acting students and uh, children and dwarfs and animals were cast from among the uh, school populace in the city. And I was a dwarf in Snow White. And then I played Hans Brinker in Hans Brinker when I was in, I guess, seventh or eighth grade. <laughs> uh, and then we moved east to Bethesda, Maryland, and uh, I continued to be interested in theater and to do theater and to see theater as much as I could. Uh, it's interesting, I've learned that when asked advice on those occasions when I am asked advice by young people who are interested in you know careers in the theater, I always now say, see, see, see as much as you can. Yeah. Just see stuff, because then you find out what your taste is. You find out what you like and what you like to do, because <laughs> there's a lot involved. Um, but, but I saw a lot, and I, as a young person, I, I saw everything I could. In Washington, there was less then than there is now, uh, but I saw all of it. I tended to. And then, you know, I knew people. You know, a teacher from junior high ended up joining the chorus of the National Tour Center of Music oh. <laughs> and going on the road. Like, you know, she joined the circus. It was like that. So I knew someone. And uh, I, I sort of inevitably came to New York. I, I probably, had we not moved east, I probably would have stayed in Chicago. And all the theater that's there that's developed over the last 50 years, Steppenwolf and all of it, uh, all that kind of storefront theater and larger organizations. Uh, I imagine I would have stayed there and done that. Who knows? Who knows? But I came here, and uh, I've been here a long time. But I, I, I had a taste for it young and uh, was active, uh, not professionally, but uh, anything I could do, I did, whether it was ushering at things downtown or I co-founded a theater with other uh, two other guys in high school. Oh, wow. Uh, and we put on a musical, and the organization is still there, Wildwood Summer Theater. It's a student-run, student organization, and they put on a musical every summer. Uh, and uh, we let it go, um, which is probably why it is still there. <laughs> um, but, you know, we did that because we could, and we were avid to do it, and no one else was. And we said, well, come on, you know, it was like Mickey and Judy, you know, in some movie, you know, I have a barn, let's put on a show. Yeah. Uh, anyway, but then I came and I went to Tufts University, which had a, a, a very active and popular drama department when I was there and a, uh, an arena theater, a small one, uh, which I already had a taste for both from having seen some stuff in uh, Chicago outdoors in a tent in the summer and from arena stage, which was already well established in Washington. One of the few places it was, when we moved to that area. Uh, and I also learned it's a fantastic place to throw young actors because uh, there's nowhere to turn. <laughs> and uh, it was fabulous training. And as I say, 
they, uh, I was in 11 productions, I think, my freshman year. Wow. Because of how active the department was. One acts and major productions and, you know, all sorts of things. Little performances and runs of things. It, it was exciting. And how did uh, your, the tour of Your Good Man, Charlie Brown, happen, as, which was one of your first? Uh, it was, in fact, my first. Uh, I was at Tufts, uh, which is just outside Boston, and this was in my sophomore year. I always get this mixed up. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was in my sophomore year. Uh, after the Christmas break, I came back to town, and there was a notice on the call board at the Tufts Theater uh, of auditions for understudies for You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown, as well as for something else called the proposal, the proposition, which was uh, like Second City, that actually uh, they were auditioning the same day, and uh, they were both very successful. Proposition ran for a long time, but I went to the Charlie Brown audition and got the job uh, and stayed in school and covered Charlie Brown and Linus and Schroeder, and then Oh, I think I went on once uh, and then was shipped down here to New York to go on for two performances here. Uh, it was still running off Broadway on 8th Street, St. Mark's, and uh, then took over the part of Schroeder in Boston. And then the Boston Company ran, uh, well, all of 1968, <laughs> such a long time ago, uh, and then went on tour. And I went on tour with it. I dropped out and uh, went on the road for nine months. Uh, so my first job lasted like 20 months, as it happened. That's just what happened, you know. I'm still a junior. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I dropped out twice and never finished my degree. And did you always know that you wanted to move to New York and how did that eventually happen? I didn't, I don't think I did know that I always did want to. I started to, or as I say, once we moved east, uh, and well, once we moved east, I saw New York. I'd been here with my family once or twice as a kid, um, and was, you know, impressed. But we lived in Chicago then, and Chicago was a, an impressive city. I don't know if you know Chicago, but the loop is like Midtown Manhattan. Um, I, I was not in any way discontent with where I had come from. Um, I didn't feel that way about Washington when we got there. It was a much smaller downtown than the kind of sleepier downtown. And, you know, I was snobbish and 13 when we moved there. So I looked down on it. Uh, in New York, I didn't feel that way about it at all. And then I started going to this, um, traveling between Boston and uh, Washington to go to school sometimes by bus and something, you know, that, that sort of thing. And you, I, you, you'd switch buses at Port Authority here. Uh, and so I walk around Midtown and look at the theaters. At some point, I remember doing that. And, uh, you know, they seemed, the, the buildings, the Broadway theaters seemed, um, what? Uh, they weren't enormous. They're all just sitting right there on the street at eye level, you know. And I mean, they're they're it's all compact, and uh, it, it didn't. What am I trying to say? It didn't seem so daunting. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like I thought all of a sudden, oh, this will be a cinch, but it seemed um, human. It seemed on a human scale. Yeah. 
not like in the movies, not like Radio City, but like of a sort of normal scale. Anyway, uh, I started coming here also during Charlie Brown on days off. Some some of the kids in the company when we were in Boston had graduated from uh, Charlie Brown had cast a lot of people uh, locally from local drama departments. There it was their habit to have sit down companies and cast locally as much as possible. Uh, so they had done that, and a lot, a lot of these kids had already graduated from BU. So I would, you know, ride down for the day off, poke around in New York a little bit. I started, you know, coming out or seeing shows uh, increasingly during college. Also, I saw a few shows in in, in uh, I saw a lot of shows in Boston, but I saw some in New York as well. So it's again, it started to seem like a a real place where I even knew a few people and. Then I came, at, right after the tour of Charlie Brown, I came first for a while in 1969 and had a fine time. Uh, I didn't get any work, but I met people who I knew for the rest of mine or, you know, uh, for, for, for many, 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 many years to come. Uh, you know, I sort of just coming to get my bearings and put down some sort of roots and stuff. Yeah. And so... Not your uh, Broadway debut, but a sort of earlier Broadway show that you did was Torch Song Trilogy. You replaced as the star of that show. And what was it like to sort of have to do that when the role had been created in such an iconic way just a few years before? Well, it was interesting. It took a long time uh, to get cast. Oh. I had done um, uh, Gemini in the same theater, actually. Uh, Gemini had, was a showcase that kept alive. It went from Playwrights Horizons to Past Playoffs on Long Island to Circle Rep to the Helen Hayes, what's now the Helen Hayes, where it ran for like four and a half years. And a year or so later, I lose track. Uh, Torch Song was there. And I auditioned for Torch Song uh, five times wow. over 13 months. And uh, uh, Harvey was a hard act for them to figure out how to follow, (laughs) you know, and, and, and it was his and uh, he was phenomenal in it and uh, arguably irreplaceable. That said, it's a really good play. Yeah. And, and the part, the part and, and, uh, even then, they had a lot of people playing the part. They had, uh, on two show days, there were two different people who played both Arnold, that's Harvey's part, and Ed, because both of those characters are in all of each of the three acts. Um, everyone else is only in one of the acts, but Ed and Arnold are in everything. So on two show days, they had a matinee Arnold and a matinee Ed, and that's where I began. And a lot of guys, there were lots of Arnold <laughs> around. <laughs> and uh, Harvey was great to me, I must say. Uh, he, 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 I think I thanked him for like lighting the way. He, 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 he encouraged me and let me alone both. I mean, he wasn't hands-on uh, as, as a director. It was his play and so forth. Uh, but he was, he was great. He was really uh, welcoming to me, and I felt uh, it was a 
it was a glorious time. It was a fantastic evening of theater. Uh, did you see the recent one uh, with Michael Yuri? No, I didn't get to, but I heard it was it was great. It was great. It was great, and so different, and so interesting to see so many years later. <laughs> and 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 I know Michael, uh, and it was like, you know, just a completely different take on that drag queen, on that particular drag queen, <laughs> on that, on the guy who. Who made his living at that particular drag queen and his life? Uh, it was so great to see. Again, it's a really good play. It's a worthwhile play. Whoever's playing the part. <laughs> but Harvey was, you know, Harvey was phenomenal in it. Outrageously funny, and and not just outrageously funny, outrageously moving. Yeah. And you've done quite a few Broadway shows, sort of coming in later as a replacement like that and Guys and Dolls later and how do you, what is your process like of sort of finding your own interpretation? I don't know how, it, I, I, I do what I do, I follow my nose. You know, when you're a replacement, um, time is limited yeah. and the structure is very, uh, well, especially in a musical, the structure is very tightly, rigidly um, built already. Uh, you know, you have to be on this spot, on this count, or someone's likely to kick you in the face. <laughs> <laughs> a dancer, you know, whose foot is supposed to be there at the, uh, if you're in the wrong, you know. Uh, not just that sort of thing, but it's, it's already built, so you have to fit in and keep going and find some life and, and vitality of your own within it. Um, it, it it's been fun. Uh, it's like getting shot out of the cannon. It's, it's, it's nuts to do because there isn't enough time actually to, to be ready to be, you know, and you, you are, you do it, you do it, but, but um, you, you, you do it without being entirely ready because you just trust you've been trained well and you have because they know how to put people into shows. If the show's been running a while, they know how to do it. They know what to teach you first. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was a put in in Torch song too. Good uh, I, I, I was what was I, what was happening? I, I I was told I was no. I was I was put in earlier than expected by about a half a week instead of a full four. It was three and a half or something like that, and it went it went fine. So that they, I kept going. You know, you don't always know what's going to happen. Yeah. Um. Being a replacement, you know, there are people who won't do it or poo-poo it. They're, they're fantastic jobs. Uh, and, and they're jobs. They're jobs. Usually they're in things that are, that are, you're only a replacement usually because the thing has been running long enough that they need to replace people. And that in and of itself is a good sign. It's likely to run. You know, steady jobs are uh, desirable just in and of themselves because most aren't. And so we mentioned just there, Guys and Dolls, briefly, and another show which you worked with Jerry Zaks on was Assassins Off-Broadway. And so how did that show, I'd love to know, sort of develop from the reading which you were part of to, to the final production? How did it develop, did you say? Yeah, from, from the reading to the final staged. Uh, that's interesting. Um, yeah, I've known Jerry for years. I knew him when he was an actor. He was good. And uh, then he started directing, and he's still good. <laughs> uh, and we had had we already 
Lightning work? I think I'd already done a play with him before Assassin's Creed. I had. Uh, and, and I don't remember the sequence of things entirely, but there was a, a, a we, we rehearsed for a week and did a reading where, you know, we sat in chairs. I mean, we, we might have stood to sing our part to do the scenes, but, but it was, you know, not a presentation. It was just an oral presentation. Uh, which was worked out and rehearsed and we learned all the music with um, oh, a whole largely other set of actors, Christine Baranski and um, Nathan Lane played Sam Bick and uh, Kevin Anderson, is that the guy's name, I think? He was we have Oswald, uh, Victor, many of us who ended up doing the production were, were in both. Um, it was interesting. It was fascinating. You know, it got some attention because of whatever it was, the 40th anniversary, I guess, about a year ago during COVID via Zoom. Yeah. I participated in a couple of things, and Sondheim did too, and now he's gone. It's amazing. Um, he was, it, it, it was fabulous. I, I knew him a little already by then because I'd done this, that production of Gypsy, and he was around it a good deal. And I had met him over the years. Um, but this was the one where we were doing it from scratch. <laughs> and uh, he's fantastic. We, there, were, there were alternate opening numbers, and they didn't know which one they were going to use for a long time. And we would do both, and each time we did run-throughs, we would start with the other one <laughs> and we'd switch back just so they could get some sense of how he kicked the thing off. And the one they ended up with, I'm pretty sure, is the original one. It's the first one I ever remember hearing, but uh, the other one was fascinating and uh, just started things in, in a different way. So there were changes of that nature that, that continued. Um, they didn't know how to name or define who the, um, what did they finally call him? The balladeer. Yes. Um, they put a guitar on his back, and I think he strummed a chord or two. Uh, and that seemed to do the trick and answer any questions the audience had about, who is this guy? <laughs> it's fascinating what things like that can happen in musicals in particular, where something is explained that needed explaining, and you don't know you've come up with a proper explanation until you do, and it turns out to be a prop. <laughs> uh, and then now it's popular, I think, in productions to make that character also be Oswald. Yeah. It's a very interesting piece because you can bend it. it it's in pieces. Um, I don't know how the writers feel about that, but you can, well, like anything, um, all, all the stuff that's really worth doing again is worth doing again because there's room to put a twist on it or a stamp on it or to emphasize yeah. this as opposed to that or to bring out some point that you feel strongly about. Uh, and that's certainly true, that that piece. Um, it was real interesting to listen to the recording. I hadn't heard it in years. Um, how well it holds up. <laughs> and it, it's a strange piece, but it holds up. And... Um, you know, uh, when Columbine happened, uh, the, that first shooting, which is all those years ago now, the first thing that came to mind as I watched it 
unfold on CNN was the gun song in Assassins. Yeah. Um, it's that simple. All you have to do is crook your little finger and you can change the world. Um, and it's true. And we haven't given up trying to, you know, outdo ourselves in proving the veracity of it on a daily basis in America. Yeah. Now, you know, it's crazy. It's completely crazy. Oh, yes, definitely. And I'd be curious to know, what did you think of sort of how the show was received? Did you think it should have gone to Broadway or... Well, it was interesting. It was very interesting. It's, I've always said of that show, it's the one I wish I could have seen. Um, I learned pretty quickly that I could not predict the reactions of people I knew well. Um, uh, people, some people were infuriated by it. They were infuriated by it, like they thought it was encouraging them to go out and shoot the president. Um, you know, the last song, it's the first song, everybody's got the right to essentially be happy, do whatever, do whatever you want. Uh, and then we point the guns at the audience and it blacks out, I guess it's over. Uh, but they saw no irony. Some people. Uh, and other people, some people just loved it. Some people were confounded by it. Uh, uh, which, which altogether uh, added up to me wishing I could see it. Um, I've thought, I always thought, uh, we, we, there was an understudy rehearsal one day, I believe that's what it was, or a replacement, or someone was going on, I can't remember, but we were rehearsing with the rehearsal guns, which we didn't even have when we were first rehearsing them. We always had the actual guns and much, uh, there was much security, uh, much was made about the, uh, the, the history of the guns, and this is the gun that I used, and this is the gun that he used, and they were kept under lock and key, and, uh, you know, they were firearms. It was a, it was a big deal. Yeah. So once the show was up, they started using plastic um, sort of space-age squirt guns that they found in a toy store, just as props. Well, the entire context of a song like The Gun Song was completely altered just the props in their hands. And I thought that's the way to go with this thing. Because I always thought that the gun song is like everybody ought to have a maid. Uh, in, in Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum. It's the, 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 the people who are singing the song think it's great. Look at that. They, they have nothing but enthusiasm. The song is written darkly. The music is dark. Sondheim was insistent that in order for it to be sinister, it had to be dark and slow and low. And I, we didn't argue about it at all, but I've always thought if there were a way to bring up their glee uh, and also make it clear to an audience that, they're, that no one's going to get hurt. Yeah. With, with a, you can do it with a prop. Um, that, that somehow that kind of burlesque quality would help the show, would help people uh, um, find it agreeable, <laughs> and, and enjoy it, and enjoy the satire of it. Oh, and so I would love to ask you more about the revival of Gypsy, that of course you starred in with Time Daily, and so 
the first thing I'd be curious about is what was it like to work with Arthur Lawrence as the director on that? It was great. Um, <clears throat> he has a reputation for being uh, difficult and crusty and mean and all sorts of things, um, which I dare say is, is true of me and you know, just about everybody. Um, but he he was great. It was his. It's his show. If he wrote it, you know, he he invented Mama Rose and he invented Herbie. Uh, he, he, you know, the seeds of them are in Gypsy Rose Lee's book, but Arthur had free reign, uh, as he did with the production. It was a beautifully straightforward production, um, the, scenically even. It was, it all looked uh, as though nothing was computer driven. In fact, things were, but there were flaps and you know, drops and wings, and it looked like vaudeville looked, or it had that sort of quality about it. And it's a really, really strongly written piece. The um, tension between talking and singing and dancing is constant all night long. You might need to sing a little bit more. None of the songs get sung straight through. All of those famous songs are always broken up with dialogue that pushes the story a little bit more. And then you have to sing a little bit more and maybe resolve it. And then there's probably another line or two at the end that caps it off. And, uh, you know, the lyrics are, are sometimes, but all those lines in the middle, all that stuff is Arthur. And it's, it's great. It's full of really great writing. Uh, so it doesn't feel like being in a musical. You, you sing, but you feel like you're in a play the whole time. He was great. I was, I'm, I was a lucky guy to get cast and work with him on that. And then I did several of his other uh, plays after that oh. uh, out at uh, George Street. I'm sorry uh, he's gone. <laughs> and what was it like also to be playing opposite Time Daily and to sort of find that chemistry with her as, as well? <laughs> well, it was easy and fun to find the chemistry. I mean, you don't have to look. I didn't have to look. Uh, we're still friends. Uh, we're, we're, we've remained friends all this time. It's great. Um, I, I had a ball uh, with her. The part is, well, her, my part, her, Herbie is written great. It's just a really interesting part. And it's written uh, in, a, a, he's there in support of her. <laughs> actively um and and uh, it, it, it's a it's fun yeah. it's fun and, uh, and you're active and and uh, we had a ball together uh i, I did <laughs> and and uh it, it's really playable stuff uh and and arthur you know pumped it up as as much as he could the, the, um, I remember saying when I was first auditioning, I said to my agent, it, Herbie's a really good part if you play it. You could fade away because he's milk toast, you know, like a doormat. Um, but he stands up for himself he's, and he walks out on her. He, yeah. he, he, he doesn't get, you know, he, he tells her he's had enough and leaves. Uh, he, he finds himself enough to do that. Um, so it's 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 um, it's serious stuff. It's adult drama, you know. Only it's this musical about burlesque and a strip teaser. It's it's fantastic. <laughs> Have you ever seen Gypsy? Um, I've seen 
unfortunately there's never been like a stage production and when I could have seen it but I saw the uh the video they did of the London production recently with Imelda Staunton. Imelda Staunton, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's pretty. Uh, I, I saw clips of it. She's good, and it, and it's pretty. Again, it's pretty straightforward. They don't mess with it uh, visually, or you know, because it 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 tells its tale in a pretty direct, direct way. It has a beginning and a middle and an end, and it keeps telling you the location you're in and. Um, you should see it sometime on stage. Yeah, next time they do it, they tend to do it every uh, ten, fifteen years. <laughs> but it, it's really good. It's really dynamic stuff in the theater to see. Yeah. It's hair raising. And you mentioned that your production, that that production, were somewhat straightforward. But is there another way that you can think of doing it, or maybe you would want to do it in a less straightforward way, or something like that? I don't know. Um, again, there was something uh, about the um, the sets looking and moving in an old-fashioned way that I thought was smart and helpful and suited. You, it's not necessary. It's a very modern story. Uh, in fact, it's set when it's set. I always say that you know all plays are set in the present. <laughs> but, uh, when, even if it's, you know, 1936, the people are behaving like they're in the present. Uh, they're not behaving like they're in 1936 any more than we're behaving like it's 2022. We're behaving like we behave like it's the present, and it happens yeah. to be 2022. <laughs> but uh, and now I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. about the, um, the sets of Gypsy and how they... Oh, yeah. Well, uh, I mean, sometimes they... Um, you know, uh, you could you could uh, change the perspective if you want and watch a lot of scenes from backstage or not, or from you could watch them as the audience sees them. Or you, you know, you can mess with the perspective of a theater, and and it's interesting. It, it's been done on, in different productions, uh, not necessarily even of this, of other productions about the theater, where you know the actors are facing off stage as if that's where the audience is and you're in the wings and you're looking across the stage, but it's actually upstage. It's, it's fun for an audience to do that. Um, it isn't necessary in this. Yeah. Um, and it does it on its own. It, 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 uh, you know, it, it, it flips from backstage to on stage when Gypsy is, uh, becoming Gypsy Rosalie, when she has to go on all of a sudden as the lead stripper. And, and at first you're backstage, and then it just, it flipped. I think it's just like a 180, and all of a sudden the lights are in her eyes instead of our eyes. It's cool. It's cool. Yeah. And so I know we only have a few minutes left of our interview, but I'd love to ask you about a more recent show you did, which was All Shook Up. And so <laughs> how did this first uh, happen? Well, what did I do? There were a couple of readings. It had been, already been being done. I think I might have auditioned earlier. I can't remember, but then I started doing it in oh I don't know oh four, I think. And I hadn't, aside from Assassins, I don't think I'd been with a musical from scratch, a big one, you know. And this was a big one. We went up to Good Speed. We did a production up there and ran for months, and then took a few months off and went back into rehearsal here. 
and then previewed and then opened. And uh, it should have run longer than it did. It was really good. And uh, audiences loved it. But uh, it was too easy to get cheap seats. <laughs> I think was the problem. But it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. It, it was silly without being stupid. Yeah. And, and the score, you know, was a riot. The set was uh, David Rockwell. And, and the cast, Cheyenne, and, I mean, all those people. It was, a, it was, it was great fun. To, to do, uh, you know, it wasn't important. It also was a tricky year where uh, the word jukebox musical became like a really bad thing to be. Oh, yeah. Um, there was a there was a beach. No, I can't remember who. Another there was an, another one that literally was a jukebox musical. It was just um, just the songs out that they hadn't even put a book together of any sort. All shook up at least was. You know, it, it was as if it was an Elvis movie that never had been made turned into a musical. It seemed like an Elvis movie or an Elvis musical, but the songs were all already songs, but they fit them in. Um, it was pretty well done, and the arrangements were fantastic. Uh, Stephen Arimus. It was, it was great fun to, you know, sing and dance that stuff and uh, to play. The book had sweet stuff, too, um, uh, have you ever been in love? I said to the kid, and he says, "Yeah." And I said, "Isn't it awful?" <laughs> <laughs> it was fun. It was sweet. And as I say, it was silly. It was, it was genuinely um, uh, fun and bubbly and silly without being ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. And so. You uh, worked on Broadway and Alfred consistently since about 1968, as you were saying, till now. And I'd be curious to know, have you noticed, or what are some of the changes you've noticed in your own experience or the way the process happens? Well, the process itself, I mean, lately, it's all, again, it's, I'm just hating a lot lately. You know, everything now, you audition, even for plays, uh, you self-tape. Yeah. It's it just I, I I hate it. Uh, I don't care for it. Uh, <laughs> um, I'll tell you. Uh, I think this is probably true. I once saw Helen Hayes, who I had met a bunch of times actually, um, but this was on the occasion of uh, the Drama League honoring her at its annual luncheon, uh, and this time it was on the fiftieth anniversary of having honored her before. Oh. It was 1938 that I honored her, and this was in 1988. Uh, and she spoke about the difference between then and now, now being 1988. Uh, and she said it was chiefly in quantity. There was still a whole range of quality from very good to not very good. Um, but in 1938, there had been, whatever, 150 openings during the season. And in 1988, there had been 42, or whatever the numbers were. Um, that's probably still true. Um, you know, everything now is, is so different because of COVID, uh, yeah. and because of the lingering effects of COVID, by which I mean on society in general. People's individual willingness on a given day to go attend something. Yeah. Or not, whether it's persistent or whether it's how they feel today. Like, no, I don't. I don't think I ought to. Or let's. <laughs> yeah, it, the impulse to go is not uh, as dependably acted upon as it once was. 
I think that's going to take a while for, for it to come back. But uh, it's interesting. It's interesting. You know, yeah. theater is, uh, it's like the play. People like gathering. We like doing it. <laughs> and, and, and theater is certainly a, uh, requires it. Well, thank you so much for doing this interview. It's been fascinating. Well, Charles, it's a pleasure to uh, meet you. Listeners, thank you for tuning in, and remember to come back next time when I am joined by one of Broadway's most legendary triple threats, the fabulous Sandy Duncan. Among the shows Sandy Duncan has led on Broadway are Peter Pan, My One and Only, Chicago, The Boyfriend, and Love is a Time of Day. She also appeared in Finding Neverland and Canterbury Tales on Broadway and toured with The King and I. She has also appeared in Maine at Barrington Stage, No No Nanette at Encores, Your Own Thing off-Broadway, and The Sound of Music at City Center. She also has a fantastic career on TV. She led the sitcoms The Sandy Duncan Show and Funny Face, starred in The Star-Spangled Girl and The Million Dollar Duck, and took over as the lead on the series Valerie. You won't want to miss this conversation. And thanks, as always, for listening. <laughs>